I mean it, y'all. I'm the first one in line who needs a fresh encounter with Jesus today. And I can sense that I'm not alone in feeling that. It's just such a joy, but also humbling and partly humiliating to be up here as the person who's supposed to teach you about God. Do you understand how off that is? As a person who knows myself fully, like you don't know me fully. You see the clothes and the presentation that I have picked out to present to you right now. You don't see everything that I know to be true about myself. And then in this moment, sort of laugh to myself to go, oh, now they want to hear you tell them who God is and, 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 and tell you this is how you follow him and this is how you should model your life. It's laughable for me. I do the best that I can and it, it, it's a continual reminder of ultimate humility because I'm like, I have no business standing where I'm standing. But I do believe the Spirit of God speaks through a willing heart and a willing voice. And I believe God has something so fresh today. I believe it so much so that I rearranged the preaching schedule to be able to preach to you today. I was not supposed to. But God laid something on me, and I was like, our people need to hear that, and they need to hear that in this series. And, and, and Matt Cole, we'll, we'll let you preach in a couple of weeks, but you got this new song. You need to release that. And so God just organized this to work out perfectly. But if you're just joining us, I believe you have joined at just the right time. We are in a series called The Way, and this is the ending. And you might be thinking to yourself, why would I be joining at the right time if I'm joining at the end? Because I believe if you experience what I believe God wants to do over the next few minutes, you're not going to miss one second of what we've been teaching so far in this series. This series is all about reframing being a Christian as being a follower of the way. So 2,000 years ago, believers in Jesus were not called Christians by one another. They were actually called Christians by people who did not believe in Jesus as a way of making fun of them. Oh, look at those little Christ. Look at them. They're the Christians. And the first time they were called Christians was in the church at Antioch. But believers actually called themselves followers of the way. And that's such a better terminology for what it means to be a follower of Jesus because it points out the fact that you believe Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life has died and has risen again. And you want to mold and shape your entire life around this idea. He's my shepherd. I respond to his voice because I am a needy sheep. And my role as a follower, as a disciple of Jesus, is to listen and respond to the last thing he told me to do. So if you're here today and I ask you, what's the last thing Jesus told you to do? And you're blank, like most of us are in response to that. Like, well, I don't, it was kind of a moment and I'm unsure and I don't really remember. That's the problem for so many of us. Is that we got clarity about a lot of doctrines we believe in the scriptures, but we don't have clarity about the voice of God in our lives personally. And when you live like that, it's no wonder we get to situations where we need clarity about the will of God and we get stumped and we get to a point where we're like, I need something, God, I'm, I'm so desperate. And it's like, wait, you said you believed all of these things, but it wasn't a real, personal, active voice that was speaking into your life. So what would it look like this summer to spend it listening and doing, not just hearing the voice of God, but responding through obedience and going, I'm going to listen to what you say, and I'm going to, Tyler Miller last week, incredible message talking about in humility, creating the space for you to actually talk to me and for me to listen and respond. And here's what we're thinking about. We're thinking about the next three months. I'm thinking about August. I know school just got out, and you don't want to think about August, but I need you to go there with me. There are specific decisions that you're about to make that are going to frame the person who you are in just a couple of months. And what would it look like if your formation this summer was more dictated by the voice of God than your next vacation or your next opportunity to go, and if I could, if 
just push this a little bit, waste a season where we get an opportunity to hear from God so clearly. I don't want you to waste it, and I don't want you to miss it. I want you to spend it on three things. Here's what we've been saying. Hello, phones everywhere. This is great. Three things. (laughs) Being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, doing what Jesus did. Y'all look at this. This is what a Christian is. It's someone who has given up how they could have lived their life and decided this is the number one way I want to live my life from now forward. This is everything I want to make my existence about. I want to spend time with Jesus. I want to become more like him. And in so doing that, I actually want my life to become a reflection of his life on planet earth. This is not expert Christianity. This is basically what it means to be a follower of the way. So what I've been talking about, what Gage has been talking about, what Tyler was talking about last week is what does it look like to spend time listening to the voice of God? What does it look like to become more like him and actually let his attributes grow in our lives? But then I'm going to hit on number three today, which is doing what Jesus did. And I had to preach this message to you because I read a verse in 1 John. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read this really quick that basically was leaping off the page to me going, preach me, preach me. And here's what it said. 1 John chapter 2 verse 6 says, by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. I'll read it again. First John's all about friendship with Jesus. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. I want to ask this question today. What does it mean to walk in the same way as Jesus? What does it mean to walk like Jesus? So if you need a title, the title for this sermon is Walking Like Jesus. And if you could, look at somebody next to you and tell them, walk it out. Walk it out. Just walk it out. It's a good song from about 13 years ago. Walk it out. We're going to learn to walk like Jesus. This is a deeply theological reality with very simple, practical applications for our lives right here and right now. Here's the deeply theological reality. When you become a Christian, you're not necessarily a follower of Jesus as if he's like this external shepherd. He becomes the internal guiding voice of your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Get this. He actually starts to live out his life through your life. So this is deep. Jesus wants to show up and replace the life you would have lived on your own and live through you and actually do things through you by the power of the Holy Spirit that align, and Jesus says, exceed what he was doing 2,000 years ago. That's a crazy thought. So I say it's deeply theological because you're like, how does this 33-year-old Jewish man come and take residence in me and live out from within me? And the reason why I want to take something so deeply theological about the Son of God living on the inside of you and make it practical is because I think we have been misinterpreting and misapplying, replicating Jesus' actions for a long time. I think a lot of us have spent our journey following Jesus trying to duplicate what he did and looking like a pathetic replica. Most of us are making genuine but sad efforts to do what Jesus did. And it's because we're trying to imitate his actions without adopting his lifestyle. Listen to this. It's because we're frustrated. We look pathetic compared to what he looked like. We look like sad replicas. Why? Because we're trying to imitate what he did. Okay, what would Jesus do? Let me try to do it. We're trying to imitate his actions without adopting his lifestyle for ourselves. 
And here's what you'll find. When somebody just tries to imitate someone else's actions without truly taking on the discipline to adopt their lifestyle, they look like they're trying too hard and they're never going to get it. You ever seen a child try to emulate their favorite athlete or their favorite star or their favorite actor or actress? What are they doing? It's cute. It's great. It's like, okay, Anison, you're not Elsa, but you can try all you want. You can put on the outfit all you want, but you sound nothing like Indina Menzel, and we're, we're, we're not getting any closer as we spend time putting on the outfit and putting on the wig and looking like her more and more. But it's adorable. It's adorable when somebody looks up to somebody and goes, okay, I want to be just like them, and if I'm going to make fun of my oldest daughter, I'm going to make fun of myself. 20 years ago, the goal of my life was not to be more like Jesus. The goal of my life 20 years ago was to be more like Allen Iverson. And if you don't know who that is, we're going to put his picture on the screen. This was the MVP of the NBA 20 years ago. Paint boys, you guys watching? Because you got something to learn from this man. Allen Iverson was more than a basketball player, y'all. He was a cultural icon because he took what was the ideal of the NBA in the 90s, Michael Jordan, everybody's favorite, oh, winner and has the best coach and has the best team and stand-up guy, went to the University of North Carolina. He took that and turned culture on its head because he went to Georgetown, came from a rough neighborhood in Virginia, took over the Philadelphia 76ers, who happened to be my favorite team in the NBA. So I'm rooting for this team and everybody around me is starting to love Allen Iverson because he didn't look anything like Michael Jordan. He's six foot tall, running around, shooting the entire game, loaded with tattoos, has an attitude on him that nobody had really seen before, but unashamedly was himself. And so I'm in sixth grade, I'm impressionable, and I'm wanting to play basketball, and I'm like, that's who I want to be. I want his shoes. I had that shooting sleeve, didn't need it. It actually made it harder to shoot, but it was like, I want to look like Iverson. Those shoes with the zips in the middle, I had the red ones, the black and white ones, and the white on black ones, all in inverse colors. They're called the Answer Fives. You can Google that to see whether or not, and I just made that up as I'm going. By the way, I think it's funny, Iverson's wearing a WWJD bracelet too, so I have one of those. Not because I wanted to be spiritual, because I want to be like Iverson, okay? This was my whole life and existence. But if you actually looked at me, and the way I played basketball and asked the question, does that look anything like him? You would laugh. You would go, no, you're, you're, you're trying too hard. You're trying to do the moves that he does. You're trying to talk like him. You're trying to walk like him. You're trying to dress like him. You're trying to do everything in your life to replicate him. But it's not happening, except for one thing. Iverson did a video one time where he basically described his crossover dribble, and this is what he was the most famous for. He had the quickest crossover in the NBA, and if you don't know anything about basketball, I know Auburn's learning in the last couple of years. A crossover, a crossover is where, that's not like a slight, that's like when I moved here, no one cared about basketball, and now it's like, we are a basketball school, and it's fun. But a crossover is, is where you go from one side to the other, fooling the defender into sliding away from you. It creates space between you and your defender. I thought about doing a message earlier in the series called Create Space, but too many illustrations about basketball for you guys for one year. And so he did, he, but he did this video and he was like, hey, here's how I do my crossover. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to sweep as quickly as I can to commit to this side, but I'm trying to go quick, but hey boys, you need to listen to this. I'm trying to go low and I'm trying to go so low to where even if the guy guarding me knew it's what I was going to do, he's not going to reach his hand lower than I'm about to cross over. So I get so low and I almost catch it without it even bouncing and move on to the next side. That's what he said. So what did I do? I went in my driveway and I was like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to practice this every single day. And so I practice and I'm going quick, 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 low, 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 quick and low, quick and low, quick and low. And then you're not going to believe this, but that season in basketball, the talk of our team is like, 
how did Miles get so good at his crossover? And I don't say that to take you back 20 years and brag on myself in the seventh grade. I say that just to describe, you know what? Everything I did to dress like him or talk like him or think like him or look like him was a sad replica of him. But the only effective part of me that connected me to him was my willingness to practice what he practiced. This is exactly how you become more like Jesus, y'all. It doesn't happen when you put on the shirt and you go, okay, I'm going to align myself to just kind of look like you and be more like you. It happens when you practice the things that Jesus practiced and what happens over time. The fruit grows in your life as a result, not as the focus. And so this is helpful for me because I've spent so many years trying to do what Jesus did and going, I have never like raised someone from the dead. I've prayed over people on their deathbed. I believe for miracles, but I have never actively seen some of the works of Jesus flow from my life that I believe are actually accessible to me by the power of the Holy Spirit. And aside from any mystical healing, I've seen frustrations in my own life of going, why am I not becoming more like Jesus? Why does my life not look more like Jesus? And it's because I haven't been practicing his lifestyle and rhythms. We're talking about practice today. We're talking about practice, y'all. Not a game. We're talking about practice, and you can Google that later to find out why I just said what I said, and you're going to be blown away by what you see. If you brought your Bible, hold it up all over this place. Hold it up. Hold it up. Come on. Some of y'all been coming here for a while, still not holding it up. Y'all so encouraged last week. Just hold it up. Get your arm workout. I, uh, I got to be in Birmingham, and, and I mean, Bible's in the air everywhere. It was so awesome, and not like single people looking for a date like spiritual people looking for direction. Turn with me to Psalm chapter one. Psalm, that's the summer at Auburn Community Church, by the way. You gotta be super spiritual to track with us for a summer and not run off to the lake or somewhere more desirable. Psalm chapter one, this is six verses that basically frame the entire collection of 150 psalms. So what are the psalms? It's the songbook of the Bible, the soundtrack. So you got poems, you got songs, you got different writers, you got different situations and seasons. But Psalm 1 is written in such a way to where it's supposed to tell you about everything that you're about to read for the next 149. And I always, what I'm preaching tends to be my favorite whatever, but I absolutely love reading Psalm 1. I would recommend it as an every morning devotion and meditation for you because it's such a good reminder. If you have ESV at the top of it, it says the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. And it caught my attention because I believe that this Psalm framed the daily rhythms and lifestyle of Jesus. You'll see why in just one second. Psalm 1-1, if you're there, say I'm there. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so with the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Go back to verse 1. Let's study this. 
Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. That word blessed can literally be translated happy. Happy is the one who does not walk this way. So what's being contrasted is a blessed, happy lifestyle next to a miserable tendency for most. And it's not to say that every day is going to be happy. Psalms and Proverbs don't speak to those kind of generalities. These are principles that are guiding our lives. And so he says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. Those are three progressively more committal terms of association. So it's like you're, you're walking with sinners, and then you're standing in the way that they take, and then you're sitting in their company. Why is this what is said? Because I've found that people who end up far from God end up far for God, from God more often because they surrounded themselves with people who are far from God than that they made a decision that they wanted to walk away from God. You'll find in your life personally, you have more of a tendency to drift away from God when you're around people who have already drifted away from God than when you make a decision one day that goes, I just want to end up far from God with my life. And that's what Psalm 1 points out. It's like, it's all about association. One person associates themselves with people who are ending up far from God, but the other one is associated with the law of the Lord. Look at this. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That is Jesus. Delight and meditation on the word of God. And I believe that's the rhythm that we're called to this summer. And I believe that's the rhythm that you and I are called to in community. Last year in June, it was coming right on the back end of such a crazy couple of months that we did something called feasting on community. I don't know if you remember this, but we basically called our whole church to join community groups. We went in one month from about 900 in community groups to about 2,100. Dead serious. People were like, oh, yeah, I need people. Okay, I've been alone for, yeah, I need, even though I have to Zoom, I need to be in a group. And so we got to June a year later, and I'm like, so what are we going to do? Are we going to fast or are we going to feast? Well, we already did 21 days of prayer and fasting. We have another one coming up in August. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to call our people to community once again. I believe when you learn to root your life in loving fellowship with other people that's focused on the word of God, you have replicated the lifestyle of Jesus. And so I want to invite our community groups, and if you're not in a community group, June is going to be another month of feasting on fellowship and getting yourself in community. And when you get in community, here's the challenge this year. It's not just that you get together and have a meal and smile and pray over the meal before you have it. Here's the challenge. I want you to go around the table, and I want everybody to talk about what they are delighting in and what they are meditating on from the word of God. I think that would be so powerful. It's not that hard to have a super serious conversation with people who you are still getting to know. It just takes one intentional question. And what if the question was, hey, what are you seeing in the scriptures right now that's causing your heart to delight? And what are you meditating on? What are you holding on to? Because Jesus took personal delight in the word of God and a commitment, I mean a disciplined commitment to meditate on the word of God. And what did it result in? Go to the next verse. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. A tree planted by streams of water. What's great about a tree planted by streams of water is that the roots of that tree are connected to a supply that is not up in the air based on circumstances. 
So most trees, their condition is going to be directly related to two things, rainfall and sunlight. Not a tree planted by streams of water. Why? Because that tree has roots that are going down so deep that they're actually connecting to the source of the water that's right next to them. So what does that mean? That means if there's too much sunlight and not enough rainfall in one season, it's okay. If there's too much rainfall and not enough sunlight in one season, it's okay. Why? Because the tree is planted by a stream of water. This is what it's like to root your life in the lifestyle of Jesus. Because now your life is not connected to how circumstances go out there. Your life is connected to the practices of Jesus that connect you to a source that gives you life in any and every season. So here's the challenge today. The challenge is this. What would it look like for the lifestyle and the practices of Jesus to become your daily rhythms? Because so many of us look at the life of Jesus and we're trying to duplicate and replicate his fruit, but we don't have his roots. You know, before the three years, three and a half years that we read about in the gospels, Jesus wasn't just hanging out, building tables. He wasn't just chilling until, God, I'm just waiting for my time over here. Like, whenever you're ready to save the world, I'm good. I could do it at 21, like, I, but I'll wait till 30 if you want me to wait till 30. Wait for the Lord, you know? He's like, no, what was Jesus doing for 30 years, y'all? The one moment we get a true glimpse into it, he's 12, and he's dumbfounding teachers of the law with his knowledge. Where did he get that knowledge? delighting in and meditating on the law of the Lord all the time. Jesus' life of disciplines that you end up getting a glimpse into during, during his public ministry, but I would say zero to 30, his life became his roots. And the fruit that we see for three years is something that we're all trying to chase, not realizing that if the Son of God needed 30 years of adopting a lifestyle that was so countercultural and slowed down to be in the presence of God, how much more do you and I need to root our lives in devotion to Jesus personally so that the fruit will grow naturally? Listen, you don't reach people because you decide to preach more. You don't reach people because you decide, you know what, I want to grow in my gift and step up and do more. You start reaching people with your life as a natural byproduct of spending your life the way Jesus spent his life. And so the question we need to ask today is not, what would Jesus do? The question is, how did Jesus live? Amen. WWJD is so flawed. Great intentions, but so flawed. Because the idea, like our friend Alan Iverson, the idea was when you end up in a situation where you're going to act your own way, you look down at that bracelet, oh, you know, I really feel like throwing a finger out the window right now, but what would Jesus do? I'll be kind and just sit here and take it. That was the whole idea of WWJD. Like It would help control and kind of taper our tendencies to try to act like Jesus. The problem with that is, and you can write this down, you will never do what Jesus did until you learn to live like Jesus lived. You will never do what Jesus did until you learn to live like Jesus lived. And so the Christian life, everybody look up here and don't miss this, you do not have to be a Christian expert to understand what I'm teaching today. We have taught you wrongly about how to walk like Jesus. We have taught you to do your best effort to be more like Jesus instead of step-by-step step teaching you, hey, here's what Jesus did. And here's what it would look like in your context to do the same thing. That is what discipleship should be. And I don't know how we missed this. I don't know what happened, y'all. 
I, actually, yes, I do. We got so obsessed with filling our rows and our offering plates that uh, it was easier to just teach these surface-level messages about stuff that you didn't actually have to apply on Monday. But we're kind of returning back to the root because so many of those people that were doing those things have gone home and not returned back to church. So now we might as well preach to the remnant and talk to the people who are here who remain and go, hey, I really want to become more like Jesus, so I'm actually willing to activate my faith and do these things. You guys realize I've had a couple weeks off. You're like, he is like, he's got a lot to say today. I do. I want us to ask this question. What would it look like to look at the life of Jesus and go, okay, what's he doing? What's he doing consistently? What are his customs? And what does it mean for me to do that? Now, this is when we get into a conversation about spiritual disciplines. And I think Gage did an unbelievable job on Mother's Day of showing how you can actively do certain things that make certain fruits grow in your life. This sermon is intended to be a hand-in-hand sermon with that one. What I wanted to do is take all spiritual disciplines and group them into three categories. So that when we talk about spiritual disciplines, we're not talking about 20 different things. So you actually know If I'm supposed to learn to live like Jesus lived, instead of making it my ambition to do what he did, how did he live? And he lived almost start to finish doing one of three things all the time and consistently. And I've dumbed it down as much as I can into three words, and there's a lot that fall under each one of these three words, but you can write them down. We say all of these things as a church all the time. Here's what it means to walk like Jesus. He spent his life in communion with God, Fellowship with other people and service to the world. Communion, fellowship, and service. So if you looked at how he spent his time, from the time his head would end up off the pillow, I don't think he had a pillow because he didn't have really a place to lay his head, but whenever Jesus got up in the morning to the time he went to bed that night, what was he doing? These three things. Communion with God, fellowship with people, and service to the world. So under communion, if you need to know, what does that look like? This is studying the Bible. This is praying. This is fasting. This is personal worship. This is solitude. This is silence. This is every discipline that we could go into so much detail about that looks like you connecting with God personally. I would argue that was his number one priority. His number one priority was not getting up and preaching his message to make sure everybody heard it. His number one priority was making sure his heart was in a position of submission and in loving union with God. Come on, remember our view series, Why Am I Here? Why Are You on Planet Earth? For communion with God. And so what does it look like for the number one priority of your schedule to become the number one priority of Jesus' schedule? If I asked you right now, between now and church at home next Sunday, how is communion going to come alive in your life, the vast majority of you don't have an organized, planned out response. And that's why you don't live like Jesus. See, you think it's your your sinful nature that holds you back from replicating his actions. No, no, no. It's because you've never actually taken the time to go, my system is not working. The problem is not the fruit. The problem is the root. How do I get down there and go, what am I doing this week to be silent before God? Jesus had this regular rhythm of understanding. I have to be alone with my father or I am going to fall out of the purpose and plan for which he has for my life. And so we could go into each one of those. But listen, this, this is why the church exists. The church exists to come alongside you and help you do these three things. But a lot of number one has fallen by the wayside. Because, here's why. Because thousands of people attend a church like ours, and like less than 100 of us really have mastered the disciplines of communion. So we don't have anybody to replicate and teach. 
We've got like this other thousand that's kind of in the middle. They've dabbled in that level of personal communion, but you can't teach what you haven't made your own. And so what we need is for people to rediscover, this is how Jesus lived his life. How do I make prayer, fasting, studying the word of God, solitude, silence, and personal worship a real part of my life? Now, this is where I could be talking theoretically right now. I'm saying literally, do you have a life of personal worship to God? And I found in my life where that's absent, so is communion with God. I don't want to be up here talking about all these things that all the experts amen me and understand what I'm saying. And all the rest of you go, yeah, that'd be a great thing. (laughs) Personal worship. That'd be so weird. Yes, it's so weird. It's so weird to blast music on your AirPods with people downstairs and be screaming out that you're talking to Jesus or whatever song you're listening to this week. But you want to know what's more depressing than that? Living your life feeling like there's a divide between you and God that doesn't need to be there. And so I found committing, when I'm like worshiping God, I'm prayer, fasting, staying rooted in his word. I don't like doing this stuff and I don't like planning to, but on the back end of it, I am who I want to be. And I'm walking in the way of the righteous and I'm going, this is actually so awesome. How much did y'all love 21 days of prayer and fasting? It's like, oh, that was horrible. I had to wake up at five and I had to know all you remember about it is your communion with God growing. That's how disciplines are. They're in the roots and they're in the stuff that we don't want to address, but they create the stuff that everybody else sees. So communion is one. Fellowship is the second one. Jesus spent his life in close community with other people, organized rhythms of celebration and synagogue gatherings. When you read about Jesus going to the synagogue, it says Jesus went to the synagogue on this day as was his custom. The translation of that means he did this all the time. He was always at the synagogue sitting under teaching. And how humbling is it to imagine Jesus being taught by a rabbi? Like, I just think of Jesus on the front row, like, please teach me about what I wrote. Like, please, yeah, just give me another, another look. But he's so humble in humility, like Tyler said last week. Like, please, talk to me about myself. That's great. But Jesus' life, if you watch what he did, he was always going to these festivals. He's surrounded in loving community by other people because he knows that even though personal communion with God is 1A, 1B is fellowship with other believers. And actually, according to the Bible, the two are not separate. They're one and the same. And so your life has to be organized around, number one, making sure you get that time with God personally, but number two, being careful to guard. Who have I put around me, and is it actually building me up in my faith to walk with Jesus? And I love that the fellowships didn't revolve around like just gathering and singing songs. It was celebration. Like if you look up the festival of weeks or some of the things in the Jewish culture, this is about people coming and camping out and eating and partying for days. The weddings they would throw, the events that Jesus attended were all about celebrating life with the people he loved the most and with the people who needed him to be around him the most. So that's where number three gets in. So you got number one, it's all about communion. Number two, fellowship. And then number three, service. Jesus' life was a living sacrifice for other people. So under that one, you have sacrifice, you have healing, you have generosity, you have a lifestyle of simplicity and a lifestyle of purity and holiness. Jesus' life is an offering to God And so things that on the surface would look like, that's costly. That's not the life I want to live. Jesus was actually running to those things and going, no, I'm going to live my life overflowing as an outpouring. And actually being an act of worship to God is going to be the thing that fills me up. So Jesus didn't live in luxury. He lived in simplicity. Jesus didn't live hoarding. He lived generously. The Son of God 
If you're, if you're God's son, it means you're the heir to everything. And he didn't even have a house? Like you look at the decisions Jesus made and you're like, service, sacrifice, service, sacrifice, every single step of the way. And what I'm finding and not liking in my heart and what I'm finding and not liking in our people is that we're claiming to follow Jesus and so many of us are recoiling away from service and sacrifice. We're going, life is about eliminating that pain. Life is about getting rid of that tension. That's why we try to excel. That's why, and Jesus would say, no, 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 no. You do what you do to excel in your career or to excel to another level in what you're living in so that you can serve more people. And that's kind of the only ambition behind it. But some of us end up so empty spiritually because we started serving other people and God did elevate us and start resourcing us more. And then we started hoarding and holding those resources for ourselves instead of living as a living sacrifice. And that's why we're getting empty. And it's when you open your hand and go, you know what, this isn't for me. That's where the joy is found. And that's when the spirit starts breathing again. When you go, this is for me to serve the world. And that's all he did. Communion, fellowship, and service. Now, I could spend, we could spend all day on one of the things I said as a sub-point of each one of those. But here's, here's what I want to get to. No, put that back up. Put that back. I know it just went away, but put that back up. Uh, I don't want to hide anything. If you're coming here, you come to Auburn Community Church, if you're watching online right now, a lot of you are not with us today. I don't want to hide any of our intentions. If you are visiting today with your family members, this is what they brought you to hear, this moment right here and right now. Our church exists to inspire you and push you and beg you to build your life doing these three things. I don't want to hide any intentions. We're not here so that you can come and take up a seat and sing a song and give an offering. We're not here so that you call this your home church. We're not here to build a brand. We're not here to do anything but use what God has given us to go, hey, what would it look like for your life to look like this? And so I, I just, I don't want that to be hidden somewhere. I don't want that to be some private agenda where it's like, our church is a funnel and we kind of trick you into living for Jesus. And by the time you're doing it, you didn't even notice it. Now you're Christian. No, very blunt, upfront. We want you to do this. Like we want you to go, I want to follow the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is a way of life, not a copy and paste. Let me try to do what this rabbi did 2000 years ago. Here's his way of life. This is what he did. We know this is what he did. We read it all over the Gospels. And we read it into every page of the scriptures that points to this is what it looks like to be one of God's people. And if you have something or multiple things in your life that don't look like this is the priority, today is the day to repent. And today is the day for Jesus to invite you to a new and better way. I told people what I was going to be preaching on this week, and I said, the sad thing about this is this is a, such a tough sell. Because everything up here looks like hard work. Everything up here looks like, I got to change right here and right now. So how do you, how does someone become inspired into true change in their lives? And the only verse I come back to over and over again is in Romans, where it says, it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. You want to know what will inspire you to build your life on these three things? Is when you haven't, and the Son of God is speaking to you personally, and he's still not mad at you. So that verse I began our time with in 1 John chapter 2, I want to show you the full picture of what I was reading. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, here's what he writes. You need to receive this. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, 
Jesus Christ, the righteous. Psalm 1, the path, the way of the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. How much different does it look now in context? That it says, John says, I'm writing this to you so that you won't sin. I don't want you to keep walking away from God. But if you do, good news, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So where is Jesus right now? He lives on the inside of you by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he sits at the right hand of God where your life is sealed forever. What's he doing at the right hand of God? Advocating for you. Who's he advocating to? A father who made the plan to send him to save you in the first place. So God's not in heaven going, I am so tired of her. I am so tired of him. It is nauseating to think about how many times they keep messing this up. And Jesus, you think of him at the right hand, like, calm down, dad. Remember when I died? Remember when I let your wrath fall on me? Like just, that, that's how some of you think about God. But Jesus is over there advocating for us going, we're not about to give up. We're about to offer a second and third and fourth and fifth chance. And the father's like, yeah, we are. Cause that was my idea. And it was my idea to save them. It was my idea to pursue them. God is like this. And when you see him like that, that is the motivation that makes you want to build your life on the disciplines of walking in the way of Jesus. So don't walk in the way of Jesus because you're ashamed today and you feel like you have to. Walk in the way of Jesus because this is the kind of love that we get. And look at verse 3. By this we know we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Man, for so long I thought his, I interpreted that verse to mean that, oh, this is so deep. I was not planning on going here, but y'all need to tune in right now. If you hear what I'm about to say, it could change your life. I interpreted this to mean if we know him, we keep his commandments as living life according to the Sermon on the Mount. When you hear commandments and law in the New Testament, think Sermon on the Mount every time. Because Jesus takes the law and he says, no, no, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it and here's what it looks like. And he ups it and creates a new lifestyle. But it, when you read it, it seems like an impossible standard. And it is. Jesus in you has to do it. But it's what your life should look like if you're walking according to the way. But in the Sermon on the Mount, the practical application that Jesus gives twice, and we're going to do a whole sermon series on this this fall, so don't get upset if I don't go into detail here. Twice, he says, whoever practices these things will be blessed says at the very end there's a house on sand and a house on the rock the difference between the two houses is one practices my teaching and the other ignores it and gets destroyed jesus today is not inviting you into perfecting obedience step for step according to how he lived he's inviting you today to practice a way of life that looks like the way of life he practiced and if you're not there yet good news you can start practicing today who are you? I'm a Christian. No, no, I'm a practicing Christian. 
What does that mean? I do good things. No, I live my life according to a particular daily rhythm that looks like the rabbi that I'm following. And I'm following in his way and staying as close to his voice as I possibly can. That's how I want us to live. And that's how I want us to reframe what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So you can put your notes away. You can stand up all over this room. If you're joining us online, I would just encourage you to stick with us through to the end of this gathering because I believe God has something powerful through this song. I want to invite everybody in this room, whatever season you're in, bow your head. I want to pray for you. But if you want to take the practices that you are living in and reframe them and say yes to a new way of life today, you get that opportunity. It's called repentance. You have an advocate at the right hand of God. His name is Jesus. And I believe he's inviting you into a new way of life today. Heavenly Father, I pray that I would get out of your way and let you do business with your people. I pray that no longer would we live enslaved to such a fast-paced, non-stop life that doesn't look anything like the rhythm of following you. God, we love you, but we realize you love us so much more. Would you release your Holy Spirit to breathe life into dreamers again? Would you help us see a vision for what our lives could look like in humble submission to you that is so much more peace, there's so much more clarity, and so much more communion in knowing you and being near to you. God, this is your moment. Our lives are your masterpiece. Help us to get out of your way and just let you speak right now. We love you, God. Move in this time. In Jesus' name.